Welcome to This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell. We'll learn about their creative process, their favorite cocktails, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm your host, Leanne Sims, along with my partner in crime, Blair Beavers, and producer, Greg Hansberry. Our guest tonight spent about 10 years honing his craft cocktailing skills out west in San Francisco and then San Diego before returning to his roots in Ohio, where he opened Blind Lady Tavern in Columbus. He hooked us with his boyish good looks and amazing repertoire of classic and original cocktails. Welcome to our podcast, owner and proprietor proprietor of the sorely missed Blind Lady Tavern, Seth Lofman. Seth, thank you for being on our podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So first things first, um, you had a birthday in August. I did. You turned the big four zero. Yes, I and made so it. we gave you a decanter uh, for your mm-hmm. birthday, and we told you that was only half of your gift. Oh, um, so I, I have the that. other half for you here, that, so that you this can is to fill, fill the decanter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a bottle of very old Barton of your very own. Of my very own. That is, I think there's going to be some extra from this bottle and then the leftover. Maybe. So Maybe. that is a... Like after I fill the decanter, that is. That's a $20 uh, handle of 80 proof. So it's low proof, so you can have that for breakfast, right. lunch. You can rub it on your new baby's gums mm-hmm. when he or she is teething. So um, I hope that you enjoy that. Um, yes, so I have to ask the question that everybody wants to know. Oh. Why did you close Blind Lady Tavern? It was purchased. It was purchased. Yes. So it was an offer that you just couldn't refuse? The timing was was rather uh, perfect as far as just the way everything had been going. And uh, I mean, I've been breaking my neck for three years. I have a child on the way, like you said. And there just didn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel at this point. I could have kept going and working every single day of the week. Um, and uh, eventually, three years down the road or so, started to turn a profit and been able to take a step back. But I had no work-life balance. And it was starting to you know, kind of show with uh, relationships. And I was going to you know, not miss being around uh, my firstborn. Mm-hmm. You know, so it all just kind of worked out at the same time uh, pretty perfectly where the offer came and uh, got out of the building and the bar and everything. So everybody kind of came out, uh, you know, doing pretty good. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you. I'm Thank sad you. to see you go, of course, because um, you not only introduced me to a lot of uh, classic cocktails, you reintroduced me to some classic cocktails um and just off the top of my head i'm thinking remember the main which i think we're gonna make tonight and uh the old cuban i'd never had that before um you taught me how to make a proper old-fashioned which i was forever grateful for because i've always loved the old-fashioned i just always hated all that metal shit in my drink yeah that's not you know it's supposed to be a a delicious beautiful clean beverage without 
all kinds of other stuff in there. And so. that's a beautiful thing, but I did not know that until until you taught me that. And then, of course, I've written about the old-fashioned in my blog and the aviation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about that before. Nobody reads my blog, but... Um, so the it's aviation... You've got to put it out there. I mean, you know, it's, it's, out, it's there. out there. It's out there, and nobody... Nobody cares. Nobody would Nobody read listens. it if you didn't write it, <laughs> for sure. Well, that's you know, true. So. That is very true. Yeah. Um, but the aviation is, uh, I have to say, even the really great bartenders in town, some of them still make it incorrectly. Um, we recently saw a very skilled bartender make an aviation with so much creme de violet, we mm. cringe. Like, it was that's really powerful. purple. Yeah. Um, so that is a wonderful cocktail, but I didn't know I liked it until you made it properly. So you didn't always intend to be a bartender, right? You went to school at Ohio right. University for Correct. sports? Uh, sports uh, administration, basically. So not like sports sciences as far as uh, you know physical therapy or anything like that, or uh, not to be an agent or anything. Basically, it was a broad stroke of the business world behind sports teams and facilities and things like that. And uh, so I got my Bachelor of Science in uh, Sports Industries, basically a business degree in kind of sports. So and then you went to Cincinnati? And I did. I worked uh, for the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks, the uh, Anaheim AAA affiliate when they were in town. I worked there doing sales for a year. Very much did not enjoy that. And... Uh, had an opportunity to move to California, and I was thinking, well, there's a lot more professional organizations out there, and uh, a family member had sort of in an in a connection with the 49ers, so I was like, okay, let's go try that, and actually had an interview lined up with the San Francisco 49ers, and the day before the interview, they called me to let me know the position had changed, and I didn't need to bother showing up for the interview. Oh, that's okay. So, that's okay. But I was bartending at the time, uh, you know, had to make money doing something while I was looking for a job, so I started bartending at the fabulous tourist destination out there called the Cliff House, the only restaurant out there on the ocean. And... Uh, started to kind of it was still pretty much the bartending that I was doing in college at Ohio University uh, a little nicer you know not the college student uh, clientele but uh, you know nothing fancy still a lot of you know vodka tonics and uh, a lot of white Zinfandel I remember that (laughs) is is that the one that's right at the end of that big park yes that's right Uh, it's just well that uh, the one that's in the park is the park chalet and okay. the beach chalet. Uh, That's what those I was are those about. are two. Okay. Those are in Golden Gate Park, right on the edge of uh, the ocean, right mm-hmm. where Golden Gate runs into the ocean. But Cliff House is just up that same road, right on the cliffs, overlooking. Uh, you can see the Farallon Islands from up there. It's it's beautiful. The Sutro bathhouses, the ruins are oh, right yeah, down next yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. Okay, we walked by that when we were there. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. First time I ever had a Ramos Gin Fizz was there. We actually made those uh, in a blender, and uh, we sold a good bit of those things. Never heard of it. Never really knew that there were appropriate portions for cocktails, you know. Uh, 
made very few Manhattans when I was bartending in college, but basically it was just all whiskey with a splash of vermouth and some bitters. That's all I was told, basically. So <laughs> I learned that uh, there's actually uh, a recipe for a lot of these things. It's not just, uh, you know, an ounce and a half, two ounces of one thing and then fill it up with the rest of the, uh, the mixer and things. So that's where I first kind of got started with that. And then the old... Uh, the whole cocktail boom happened right about that time in 2007. Uh, I was lucky enough to be out there at the right place in the right time for that whole thing to explode. So did it start out west? New York and San Francisco. Okay, pretty the larger much. markets. There were a couple places that had been making proper cocktails in both cities for a few years prior to the boom. Um, but it just didn't really, you know, it was more of like a niche, little quiet, you know, best kept secret kind of thing, you know, and then everybody really started to get into it. Uh, places uh, like, uh, oh shoot, what's it called now? Not the Rick House, that was after Bourbon and Branch. So that was okay. one of the first places that I had ever gone to that had like just mind blowing cocktails and recipes and recipes and rules i wasn't a big fan of that of like rules you, of the rules of the house you know like <laughs> you you had to sit at a table and be waited on you couldn't go to the bar um you couldn't be loud you know you couldn't it was like you they could you, they didn't want you to have a good time basically mm. is how i saw it <laughs> because Sounds we like were just place. you know we, we weren't drunk you know or being like blithering idiots or anything we were just having a good time laughing and we were told to keep it down you know, I was like, okay. So you got louder. So, well, I just decided to leave. <laughs> so it always amazes me, um, like you said, the the craft cocktail movement. And when you look back in history and all the cocktails from the 1800s, that's how we've, we've come full circle. Finally. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... How did you, so when you got to San Francisco, you learned how cocktails were supposed to be made. Were there any specific books that you read or how did you, how, you have such, um, like I said, a, a vast repertoire mm-hmm. of craft cocktails. What resource did you use? First book that I got my hands on was Imbibe, which okay. was an excellent, excellent book because it gave a history of the cocktail um, 1850s, like how it all started and who started it and what happened. And then it got into, you know, cocktail recipes of some of these uh, bartend- bartenders from the, uh, you know, the bygone days. Uh, Jerry Thomas mm-hmm. and uh, Harry Craddock and those guys. And uh, it was super, super mind blowing for me being a college bartender, you know, and just, you know, obviously spirits have been around for a long time. You know, I was just naive to think that this was like a new thing that we were mixing, you know, all these ingredients and things and come to find out they were using egg whites in the mid 1800s for cocktails. Like they didn't even hardly have ice, you know, in most places, but they were still using these fresh ingredients and all these cool spirits. Um, and liqueurs and things from, you know, imported from France and Italy. And, like, it it was still the wild fucking West. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it was saloons and there were guys that were making amazing cocktails, generally in, you know, fancy hotel bars and things like that. But still, you know, it was just crazy to me that uh, there were all these recipes of amazing drinks that we can still make today. Some, you know, ingredients aren't quite the same, but we can still get our hands on a majority of and, the things that they were using. And bartenders were rock stars back in those days. Absolutely. I, mean, I think that's coming back around, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's been, you know, a lot of people that have names that are known in a smaller circle, but that circle still is countrywide. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like rock star or president status or anything, but, you know, guys that uh, have been changing the game you know, stateside in New York and in San Francisco and things. And it's crazy that, uh, you know, just a, a simple thing like that is so beautiful. When you, um, when you came back to Ohio after being in California, were you surprised at, at all the talent that is here in Columbus? I was, uh, I was very surprised. I'd come back to visit, um, before moving home and this might have been maybe a year into curio's run and uh sat down at the bar with a buddy that lived here you know and he was like man you know you got to check out this place and we went and hung out and uh travis was working the bar i remember that day and uh you know it was like wow these guys you know taking it serious they know actually what the hell's going on it was pretty cool and uh, i was like actually you know pretty excited to come back and be a part of this uh, budding little cocktail movement that we were having here in the middle of nowhere, basically, central Ohio. You know, very, very cow town still. So it was cool that uh, there was uh, a few people that were super excited and, uh, you know, really into cocktails. So beyond um, reading and vibe and... um and, and honing your skills in California, there's still a level um, that, you, that you need to, to get to where you are, which is you gotta know how to mix flavors. You gotta mm-hmm. know where where does that come, are you just born with it? Because I don't have that. Right. Are you born with that? Did you teach yourself that? How, how does that happen? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say that you're born with it. I mean, like most things, it just takes a little effort and I was lucky enough to work at a few places that encouraged experimentation with things that they had on the shelves as far as ingredients and different things and flavor combinations and uh, I just kind of you know after getting a bunch more books after uh, imbibe opened my eyes and finding out that you know there were recipe books from you know the 1880s until you know, the 1930s of amazing cocktails and all these bartenders, you know, kind of were out of work doing prohibition and took off to, to Europe and, you know, all kinds of exotic places like that. And, uh, uh, just kind of was looking at ingredients that they had and what might, you know, kind of go with or a company or be a good substitute for, or just kind of, basically I was drunk. (laughs) <laughs> all of the time because I was just trying tasting R&D you know, R&D yeah absolutely you have to do it I mean you know I was young you know you can do that when you're young 
So it was uh, it was fun, but I I associate my what I like to do is after the initial discovering what f flavor profiles kind of go together and what things like as far as liqueurs and new mixers or that are on the uh, on the market uh, taste like I associate food with like cocktails you know what flavors from food that I eat would translate into cocktails like uh, you know peanut butter and jelly or uh, a nice frisé salad or something things that have herbs and uh, savory sweet you know just kind of things like that desserts salads uh, you know things with dill like I mean there's just so much that you can do with the access that we have now to ingredients and spirits and uh, you know we can make syrups out of pretty much any plant that you can think of or you know get down to the the uh, like the, the chemistry of it you know and extract the oils and just use a drop of that like bitters or use it as a mist I mean it's just it's gotten bananas how creative that this uh, you know simple 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 thing of drinking booze has gotten which is pretty cool it is cool we're grateful for it yeah right. we enjoy it yeah what I mean, is your favorite base spirit do you have one Whiskey. Whiskey. Yeah. Why? I drink it the most. <laughs> <laughs> and and by whiskey, which type? Scotch oh, or yeah, all? no, it's, I mean, bourbon and rye mostly, probably. Okay. It's, it's easier and it's more friendly, you know, for consumers because, you know, obviously rye, bourbon, and scotch are all whiskey and Japanese and Irish and all that stuff, but, you know. People still are not big scotch drinkers that I've found for the most part the past few years working uh, in Columbus and even in, you know, California. It's just not something that's, it's something that's appreciated, but it's not something that's is consumed as much as like bourbon or rye cocktails. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do some cool things, but with scotches and even, you know, like mezcals, like it's, if you're not into scotch and mezcal, you're not generally going to enjoy a scotch mezcal type cocktail because that's the predominant flavor that comes through, which is smoky peaty or mm -hmm. just the, the smoky agave of uh, the mezcal. So, mm -hmm. you know, you got to love mezcal and scotch in order to appreciate the, the cocktails that are using those. But Especially these days, people are into whiskey, yeah. American whiskey, bourbon and rye. So, I mean, that's just, you know, it's Giving easy. the people what they want. Yeah, you know, and it's fun to, to mess around with that stuff. And we have amazing uh, products that we can get our hands on that aren't super expensive, that are still very high quality. And, uh, you know, it's just fun to play around with that stuff. And and come up with new things. Well, speaking of a whiskey cocktail, you're going to make us a whiskey cocktail, right? Yes, the I remember believe my, the main... my favorite classic whiskey cocktail. What's the story behind this cocktail? Uh, the Remember the Main is, uh, I found it in, uh, I believe, it, oh man, what book was it? It was kind of a compilation book of uh, different beverages from, or different cocktails from different creators um, and just kind of like put into one book. It was like craft, 
Forgotten Cocktail. I forget what the heck it was. I don't have the book anymore. I gave it to somebody so they could do a little research, and they got fired, and I never got the book back. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, anyway, it's it's a 1930s classic uh, commemorating the sinking of the battleship Maine during the Spanish-American War. And uh, I don't know why in the 1930s they were commemorating the sinking of the battleship Maine, which happened, you know, many years prior. Mm-hmm. But uh, they did. They did. To make a good cocktail. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a wonderful beverage. Uh, Manhattan variation. We using all the uh, the classic ingredients of the Manhattan. So generally, it's rye, but you can use bourbon very easily uh, if you don't have any ryes around. Uh, sweet vermouth, cherry herring, some Angostura bitters, and a rinse of absinthe in the a glass. A rinse. Yes. A little okay. bit goes a long way, so you just kind of want the aromatics versus the uh, the actual flavor of the anise. Got it. So, All right. Yeah. Well, we are going to take a break right now. We're going to mix up a cocktail, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be right back. Boom. And we're back with a Remember the Maine. Cheers. Cheers. I'm excited. Yes. I'm excited too. Cheers. Cheers. Always make eye contact when you cheers, otherwise it's bad luck. Mm. Greg Hansberry. I was going to worry about spilling. (laughs) (laughs) I was focused on the cocktail. I didn't care about the rest of you. Boy, I can really smell that absinthe. Oh, man. I miss that stuff. I love a good Manhattan, but... This is yep. just such a great twist on that. It's just so a little, good. a little different. It's mm-hmm. you'd think the cherry herring would make it too sweet, but it's one of those drinks. It's like the Sazerac. You can't have too much or too little of one thing. It's got to be kind of a pretty precise amount of whiskey, vermouth, cherry herring, um, bitters, and the and the absinthe. You know, with mm-hmm. obviously Blair, you love Sazeracs and. I'm sure you've had some some really good ones and some ones that were uh, not quite not up to par, <laughs> right? You know, a little too much absinthe yeah. can ruin it unless you're into absinthe. Too much sugar, obviously, is a big no-no. You know, it's just about getting the the portions right. It's like baking. Right. It's a, a lot, lot of, of depth of flavor too. Mm-hmm. Just layers, and it the absinthe the hits cinnamon. you first in the nose, and yeah, it's just. It's a really delicious cocktail. Maybe it's because I haven't really been drinking too much lately, but I'm really getting the bitters in there. I'm getting mm. the cherry in there. I'm getting the vermouth in yeah, there. Yeah, you're tasting you it all. just That's... basic Angostura on this. Yeah, always. Just a couple dashes. It's delicious. Mm. So when you were in um, San Francisco, yes, the bar that you worked at didn't you work at a very historical bar there i did i uh i worked and then uh general managed a place called comstock saloon it was uh the second oldest bar in uh in san francisco there was a place called the saloon which happened to be like a block up maybe not even and that was uh late 1800s and comstock has been there not 
the not Comstock itself, the bar, the building has been there since uh, 1906. Wow. And so when you came here and you opened Blind Lady Tavern, mm-hmm. that was formerly the jury room, some other things that we won't mention. Um, but that bar is the oldest continuously operating bar in, in Ohio, right? In the- Columbus for sure. Okay. Uh, I did some research a couple times. One time I found that, uh, you know, I couldn't find anything older than uh, 1831, which is how long the bar has been there. And then uh, there was another time, oh, crap, what was it called? Like the Golden Goat or the Old Goat or something like that is a place uh, here in Ohio somewhere. In, in Lebanon, the um, the Golden, uh, golden what is that? Goat? In Lebanon, there's, I know what you're talking about, Golden Lamb maybe? Maybe, something like that. Yeah. Um, and they say that they're older, I believe. So okay, but definitely in Columbus. So yes, d- were you seeking out a, a historical place, or was no, that just just happened? Yep, just the way it was. Uh, when uh, when I got back, I wasn't you know I didn't thinking about opening a place, and uh, you know I figured. When I've I come to find that uh, it's way cheaper to do here than it is in California. And, uh, you know, so I was just keeping an eye out on uh, spaces that were available, restaurants that were for sale, uh, real estate that was zoned for retail, restaurant kind of stuff, and uh, happened upon this place and didn't know anything about it prior to. had never heard of the jury room or anything like that before going in. Uh, post Liz Lesnar and uh, was amazed at how beautiful this little space was you know the uh, the original ceiling was still there well not original original but 1880s that's pretty damn original Um, you know and uh, just the the history the original inhabitants Uh, definite previous ones still around (laughs) a little bit yeah um, so tell us about that. Well, it uh, the jury room and that building was uh, obviously around for a long time. And uh, back in the Civil War era, it was legal to uh, have a brothel as long as it was done operating by midnight. And in the back half of the building, it just so happened to be a brothel. And the madam at the time, her name was Frances Miller, um, and uh, a few uh, drunken gentlemen were looking for a little uh, action, and uh, they showed up past midnight, and they were refused entry, I'm guessing, because they broke the door down, and Frances Miller shot and killed one of the guys, and his name was Paulus Rupert. And this is actually all recorded, you know, documented. So there's no, you know, bullshit, uh, you know, in reference to that stuff. But whether or not she is still attached to the building as a a spirit, you know, that's, you know, for, for some people, you know, not for others. I... I'm not 100%, but there's, you know, a couple things here and there that were a little weird, so. Like what? Um, 
my dad and uh, chef were in the basement one day when we were uh, not open during the day, and they were in the basement. And one of the bar stools, they heard a they heard a loud noise and came running up from the basement. And one of the bar stools had just fallen over on its own. And the bar stools uh, are very sturdy. They don't do that. They don't do that. So they were a little spooked because uh, nobody was in there. You know, doors were locked and everything. Excuse me. And then uh, the only thing that really happened to me, well, there was a, there's a bathroom upstairs and a couple people got locked in the bathroom even though there was no, no lock on the door. That wasn't me, luckily. Um, but uh, some bottles moved around on me one night, which was pretty interesting, I thought, because I hadn't touched these bottles. I hadn't thought about these bottles. And... Uh, one bottle, I went to get ice, and one bottle was sitting on top of the ice machine out of this box that was, you know, six feet away. So I'm like, that's kind of weird. Maybe somebody opened the, you know, got into the box to see what was in the box, had the bottle in their hand, and just, like, went about their business and set the bottle on top of the bar or uh, on top of the ice machine and forgot it was there. So I put the bottle back in the box and got the ice and went back to the bar and... uh you know, came back for some reason like an hour or so later, and now there are two bottles oh. on top of the ice machine <laughs> from different locations uh, on some shelves that were close to each other but not next to and uh, were bottles that hadn't touched or had any thought of touching, and they're sitting on top of the ice wow. machine. So that was the only thing that happened to me. Uh, it was a slow night, so there wasn't anybody around really... Uh, that was like fucking with me or anything. So, yeah, that was weird. Did the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you saw that? I got a little spooked. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and didn't the Travel Channel do some sort of the Travel Channel? I think uh, the Dead Files. They did an episode uh, back in the jury room. Day uh, the 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 version of the jury room prior to blind lady because there was a few owners of the jury room yeah uh before that so the last owner had the uh the dead files come in and they actually did like a, a paranormal thing but i had actually had somebody reach out to me asking if they could you know bring their little team in and hang out for a couple hours and i was like okay sure so they came in you know and had some basically just some tape recorders and some cameras and stuff and uh then i was hoping they had some like ekg meters or something like in ghostbusters i was, you know, I was <laughs> like oh yeah i know what that is no i don't <laughs> and they went and cruised around and this was this was kind of spooky so there was a couple of them in the one of the basements there was two basements the front half where the restaurant and the bar was and then the back building had a, a basement which was where like the office and uh uh the upstairs, which was uh, a different office that was being rented out. And uh, they were in the back basement. Three people, uh, two women and a man, were back there. And they had the lights off, and they were down there. And the man's, I mean, they all had their equipment charged and ready to go for these, like, two-hour, you know, expedition or whatever that they were on. They had their batteries charged and were ready to go. And he's down there with, like, a, a video recorder, and the two women are on their phones kind of recording things, you know, and asking questions and listening for responses or whatever. But dude's battery just got zapped. 
like drained all the way. So he took off to get another battery. And this was, you know, maybe an hour in still should have had plenty of juice. And, uh, so it was just the two women down there now. And one woman was behind another and the woman in front was, you know, holding her phone with, you know, recording and asking questions, you know, if anybody's there or whatever. And, uh, her phone just like died instantly as well completely dead no battery but before it died and she actually showed me this on her recording there was a man that i did i thought looked like a man and looked like a bartender sort of type person with like that type of garb on like uh arm like garters and yeah 19th century kind of thing walk in front of her camera before it died like the image the last image that you saw on this camera was this presence or person Whoa. or thing i was like that's fucking weird yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's weird crazy. yeah so you know wow. one of the one of the dudes said that there was like you know the presence of children and stuff in the upstairs attic from back in the day you know the probably kids were you know stashed up there where the parents were working or doing prostitute things I don't know <laughs> whatever I you know I wasn't around wow. back then but yeah so you know there's definitely a, a charge there I would guess to say is is accurate you know yeah, like a paranormal like thing I don't know nobody's malicious nobody was getting pushed down the stairs or knives or flying off the shelves or anything but sometimes so they aren't like poltergeists right i don't think that's like an actual thing but i i do not know it was pretty cool though i bet so seth what's next for you oh no you don't know no not yet so i have a thought thinking you know i'm open for you know suggestions so here's what i think you should do I think you should capitalize on your popularity mm -hmm. and the fact that everyone misses you so much. Mm -hmm. There's and like I, a handful of people. No, there, no, there are lots of people. I know several. I, yeah. I doubt it. <laughs> and I think that you should do a pop-up mm. at any given bar. Pick mm -hmm. a bar because they would make a shitload of money and so would you. That's not a bad idea. I hadn't thought of pop-ups. I don't know why. Because yeah. that's like a thing. You should definitely do a pop-up. People do that. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Set something up, you know, it's uh, somewhere Wherever. pop up guest bartending kind of thing. Say, yeah. hey, you know, everybody kicking it here tonight for a few hours, you know. Exactly. That would be amazing. Yeah. Okay. We, we would love to, yeah, to come fun. and see you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure our listeners would as well. We got any? Not yet, okay. but hopefully we will. Right. It's well, not, maybe if you do this like, pop up, it's not like the blog. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully my podcast won't go the way of my blog, and nobody will listen. But no, I, I think my I think this will be more popular because people like you and Crystal Lobby and other people have have done this podcast. So oh, absolutely, it's not just me. So it's oh. way more interesting. Okay, or it's interesting. All right, Let's put it that way. Well, I think you're pretty interesting, but. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. My we really pleasure. appreciate for it. Me. The cocktail's wonderful. We always love to see you. Yeah. Best of Good luck in all future endeavors and, thank you so and much. keep us keep us posted. Yeah, let us know when you do the pop up. Yes. I yeah. will you know, we'll, for sure. We'll be in. Yeah. So I'm not that, gonna just, you yeah. know, pop up and <laughs> not tell anybody. <laughs> 
So that's it for this episode. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, give us a review, tell all your friends. And also check out our cocktail tour. We do have a craft cocktail tour. It's called the Columbus Craft Cocktail Tour. And you can get uh, tickets and dates at columbuscraftcocktailtour.com. Thank you so much to our producer, Greg Hansberry, who also happens to produce another podcast called Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Um, It's a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Do you see how that just rolled off my tongue? It's because I watch it every week, so I I I know it by heart. Original music for our podcast was composed and performed by the biographer, so shout out to them for our fantastic original music. And finally, Blair. Please remember to drink responsibly, tip appropriately, and be cocktail curious. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.